Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour of OutKick 360 across the OutKick network. Alongside Paul Kuharski, I am Chad Withrow. Unfortunately, we're not in Augusta right now because the one time I had the privilege of meeting our next guest, Tom Rinaldi, was in Augusta at the Masters, but we'll settle for our studio here in Nashville, Tennessee, and Tom Rinaldi, wherever he is right now, award-winning journalist, uh, one of our favorite guests in the show, and Paul, um, one of your classmates from Columbia. A fine classmate who went on to uh, probably, he, I, I, he wasn't valedictorian of that class, but probably in hindsight. Lord knows, no. <laughs> in hindsight now, everybody would say that you're the uh, the highest achiever, I, I think. Thanks for squeezing us in this week, Tom. I know you've been uh, uh, sprinting around the country. You were in L.A. I don't know where you're based. Are you based in the Midwest? I'm based in the great state, the garden state of New Jersey, uh, but I am in L.A., uh, I am throwing out a first pitch. My first time doing that. I'm doing that at the Angels game tonight, and I've already been informed by many in my life, including our son, who is uh, going to be headed off to Notre Dame in the fall. That if I bounce it, do not bother <laughs> to board the plane back home. So, guys, really ha have a good thought for me. When, yeah. when you uh, agree to do this, we, we've done this at a, at a minor league baseball game With together, no one not, not major league like you. How did it go? How well, did it, it go? It, and it went, what advice? It was fine. Do you they have? pretend like I threw soft. They threw a nice, good Paul, strike. Paul threw they this think high Randy loping, Johnson. you know, through this high loping lob That's toss BS. to the catcher, and Hutton and I tried to throw a little bit harder. Mine was low and away. I want to say it was like trapped by the catcher, low and away behind home plate, but he caught it cleanly. The mascot was scared. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't bad, but I am curious, how many people do you go to with advice on what to do? And do you talk to anyone on the Major League Baseball side about what they want to see? Because our catcher, Paul, was very clear on that. He said, whatever you do, don't try to be a hero. Like, don't go to the rubber and have don't to do throw it as hard as you can. Like, I just, we all just want to catch the ball and then be done with it. <laughs> Well, I've been told again by our son, Jack, uh, that my manliness quotient will plummet if I don't throw from the rubber. Uh, I, I don't know that I'll follow his lead there, but I do know not being a hero, the, yeah, I, I subscribe to that plan. Get it there. Let him frame it. Let the tools of ignorance do their work. Hopefully yeah. we'll be good. And you don't want any mention with Baba Bowie. Uh, that, Zero. Yeah. Zero. As long as you can avoid that. Since Chad mentioned the Masters, that's uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you. Uh, it's been a while since you've made your move to Fox from, from ESPN, but in your consideration there, you were giving up the Masters, you were giving up Wimbledon, you were giving up a, a lot of things. I think a lot of us attach you mostly to the Masters out of those things. How tough was it to walk away from a, a, a venue that gave you the, the opportunity to be there regularly? 
Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be a very special event. And all my time at ESPN is always going to be really special to me, Paul. But at the end of the day, I don't feel like I walked away from anything as much as I walked towards something. I never really had the opportunity to be a regular member of a broadcast team and uh, that covers the NFL, certainly. And now I am. We have the Super Bowl, two of the next three years. I'm blessed to be able to share the sideline with Aaron Andrews in doing that. We obviously have Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson with us. I'm going to the World Cup in Qatar. I've never done that. I'll be at the All-Star Game, the Field of Dreams game. Uh, I contribute to the World Series uh, do college football, big noon kickoff. I'll be doing the Ohio State Michigan game. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. I certainly miss those events. They're incredible. I actually miss uh, the Open Championship as much as any event when it's at St. Andrews. So this is also a bit of a tough day as well. That was the final Open Championship we had before ESPN and ABC uh, lost it over to NBC, where they do a great job with it. How much um, how much of a labor of love was the All Madden documentary uh, that that you put together? I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but just being a part of that process and getting to talk to as many people as you were able to talk to in, in making that film, how much fun was that for you? Chad, that was an, an opportunity, really a professional opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, you guys know booking guests is a hard thing to do. And we put out 38 requests for the Madden documentary, and we got 38 yeses. If that doesn't tell you something about John Madden, nothing will. Uh, the opportunity to spend time around him, and then the way the timing unfolded, the fact that it, from the beginning, the design was it was a love letter to John, and he saw it surrounded by family on Christmas Day, and three and a half days later, passed away. And uh, I know that myself, Joel Santos, the fa fa fabulous co-director, will never forget the call that we got from John's family, from his son, thanking us essentially for, in his words, giving dad his flowers while he could still hold them. I'll, and that meant the world to us. I'll follow your lead and go Qatar instead of Qatar. What uh, at this stage are your preparations like for that? What do you know about the logistics and the, the concerning things about being over there um, at, at this stage still several months out? I'm very curious right. to know. Right. The only fall World Cup in history, maybe the only one that will ever be staged. Uh, it begins November 21st. It ends December 18th because of the temperatures in that part of the world. I have not been over there yet. We've had massive logistical efforts to create the stages, but also realize this, because of the size of the nation, guys, as opposed to other places like North America, Canada, the United States, and Mexico, where it will be in 26, all of the venues are fairly close by to each other. I don't know that there's ever any more than 90 minutes to two hours travel time to a different one of the, the stadiums. So in that regard, uh, it, it may be a bit easier. As a lot I still don't know about it, I can tell you this, I couldn't be more excited about the chance to cover not just the biggest sporting event in the world. I think we could really make a reasoned case. It's the biggest event in the world, period. And to be a part of that and get a chance to cover that as the domestic broadcaster is awesome. I, I'm I'm really curious, Tom, just about your fall in general. You you just went through all the things you listed, what you'll be a part of. You know, football seasons obviously our prime time with this show as well, and yes. what we're doing. But you've got big noon kickoff on the on the college front. 
You've got your NFL coverage with, with Fox and NFL. And then in the middle of all this, not, you know, in the beginning, not at the end, right smack dab in the middle uh, of the football season, you're going to be covering a World Cup and then kind of back and forth to football after that. Have you taken the time to give it much thought about what that schedule is going to be like this this year? Well, a lot of us have focused on, <clears throat> pardon me, guys, focused on Thanksgiving week because it's an historic week for Fox, maybe in, in the history of sports yeah. broadcasting. When you consider the fact that on Thanksgiving, we have the Cowboys, we have the middle of the three games, traditionally the one that rates the highest. That'll then be followed by taking the trip up for big noon and then um, planning to be on the sideline for Michigan, Ohio State. And then that's followed by a great NFL matchup that Sunday, I believe Rams Chiefs. And then directly after that, the flight over to Doha. So that's a very, very busy, incredible week. In the midst of that, the U.S. will have already started group play, will have contributed features for uh, our coverage, which is again headed up by Joel Santos. Um, the group stage matchups are fascinating, England and Iran and Wales, and to see what chance Americans have to advance out and see how far they can go. It, it's a really a full turnover here in the roster. Uh, players with a a lot of real talent who are con significant contributors in, in their clubs, you know, in Europe, it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds. I can't wait. So your newest project that debuts on the 18th, just uh, early next week is, is called Wesley, the middle name of Lyman Bostock, the uh, California angels outfielder who was a pretty damn good ball player. Most people forget uh, George Brett yes. says in, in your uh, teaser, that he thought he was a potential Hall of Famer as early in his career as it was. Only Major League Baseball player ever murdered. Uh, murdered ever or murdered during a season? I can't remember which you said. Either murdered way. during a season, yep. And uh, is kind of remembered incorrectly. And um, pick it up from there. Tell us how you kind of came into this story and why you wanted to tell it. The reason for the title, Paul, you correctly point out, it's Lyman Bostock Jr.'s middle name, and that was the name that many in his family called him, really a name of affection. They called him Wesley, the son of a Negro Leagues player who really didn't have his father play a primary role in his life to any significant degree, but still was impassioned by the game, determined to learn it, and went to college in California, ostensibly to play baseball, didn't even get on a field the first two years of his time there, swept up in the campus unrest and the tumult of 1968. Any of us who've lived through the early years of the 2020s can relate to 1968. He was part of the Black Student Union, part of a student protest, which resulted in him receiving felony charges and being identified as a ringleader, um, even though in no way was the event violent. We uncover, I think, for a lot of people, a much deeper portrait of a fascinating man, pressured by those around him not to play baseball, to give it up, perceived as a white man's game, leaving college when he's drafted 595th overall, flying through the minors more quickly than anybody thought, and then identifying almost immediately, Paul, that Rod Carew would be a mentor absorbing everything he could from one of the greatest hitters in the history of the game. Drafted by the Twins, plays there three seasons, signs one of the biggest contracts, not just in baseball, but in American sport at the time. 
with the Angels under their owner then, Gene Autry. And at the end of that first season, he is murdered in the deadliest city in America at that time, Gary, Indiana, after a day game in Chicago. The story of his life, his career, his death, and then the improbable court proceeding that led to the man who killed him, Leonard Smith, being back in society and free to live his life six blocks away from the murder scene, just less than two years after he'd fired the shot that killed Lyman. Uh, We found Leonard, and one of the reasons why we wanted to do this story, I did it for ESPN 14 years ago without the depth we were able to do with this length of time, Paul. Sorry for the long answer. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because in encountering his killer, Leonard Smith, I botched it badly. And it's a regret that I've carried with me in my career. And believe me, we revisit that in this podcast. How, how did you I, botch it? I don't want to give too much away, okay. but but I'll just say it, it revolves, Chad, around a question that I'd love to get your take on. You know, you guys have guests on all the time. And what value there is in asking a question either for yourself, for who you're representing, or for the audience knowing it may not get an answer. Is there a value in posing the question anyway? I think That's there how is I a, botched I think it. There, I think there is a lot of times value in that. Sometimes I, I do it with the coach just to, to make him not answer it, to show people he's being a jerk. I, I think and, well, and I think can, with the, the non-answer – yep, sorry, guys, go ahead. No, no, uh, to answer your question, Tom, I think it, it, it helps lend credibility to the interviewer just by having that question on the record where the audience hears you asking the question, even if you know you're not getting an answer. But to me, it's also kind of a catch-22 because you're not really serving the audience that well if you know you're not getting an answer when you ask it. It's self-serving. I would ask the question, just say, we have to ask this question. So we're going to put it out there, knowing I'm not going to get an answer on it. But to go back to Paul's point, which I think is a fascinating one, this is why I think this is such a compelling, to me, I know this may feel like inside baseball. This is great. But... Yeah, but but to Paul's point, Chad, but the way the subject doesn't answer, is there something instructive and of value to the audience in that? And maybe there isn't at all, but maybe there's great value. Yeah, and the, the, the echo chamber of these questions is what I've carried along in the shape of regret all these years when I remarkably encountered Leonard Smith. Well, it sounds like this is cathartic for you on that end. Why did you choose to do it as a podcast when we've seen you do this so often, standing up in front of a screen to start it, doing a voiceover, periodically appearing in, in a longer piece, uh, and certainly wrapping it up on screen? Why, why is this not a TV piece? That's a great question, Paul. I think there's two reasons. One is because of the length and the depth that we devoted to this project. It's eight episodes. They're anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes, you know, right around that half hour we think is a sweet spot in this space. And I also think it lent itself to a chorus of voices more than having to worry about the visualization of the points people might be making, the anecdotes that they were sharing. And there are really rich anecdotes in Lyman's life, some from his childhood, some from those tumultuous years in college, some, one of the the most well-known certainly isn't well visualized either. After he signed the Hughney contract, and guys, I ask you if you could think of an an analog or a comparison, 
He cratered in his first month with the Angels, batted under 150. At one point, he went, I believe, two for his first 48. He was awful in that stretch. And he went back to ownership to Gene Autry and said, I don't want my salary. I don't want it. I haven't earned it. Wow. And ownership said, if you hit a home run every game for the rest of the season, you're not going to get any more money. Relax. Take the money. They paid him and he gave all of it. The month's pay to charity. That month's pay was more than twice what he had made in any of his first three seasons. And yet he gave it all to charity. These are some of the anecdotes and insights that I think we could visit in really in an audio way. We hope dynamically, guys, with the use of score and hopefully artful sound effect. We're so proud of the way Steve Porter sound designed it. And I know I've become a big fan of episodic narrative-driven podcast storytelling, and we wanted to give it a, a try, and we're thrilled that Fox gave us this opportunity. First time they've ever done it. Yeah, it'll be a must-listen for sure, uh, one that I'll be listening to. I'm curious, Tom, how much freedom are you given when you have ideas like this for either documentary film or a podcast within Fox to present ideas and come away with a green light on a number of projects? Well, I certainly feel like I've had great freedom. The, the All Madden Project, which I was blessed to be a part of, was not my idea. That came right from Eric Shanks, the president of Fox Sports, I think with the best of intention, as a love letter, while John was alive, to pay tribute to him, a man who he felt had, he felt devotion to, and he felt indebted to in the best ways. In this case, I had been approached by some outside companies, production companies in the audio content space, and I went to Fox and said, what interest might we have? And Shanks asked, well, what kind of stories have you, you know, are you thinking of? And I said, this isn't necessarily the story, but a story like it. And he said, no, I actually like this story. And that's what launched us on this project, which has been in the works for you know, a little over a year. I haven't looked for you on Instagram or uh, Facebook, but I know you're not on Twitter. Have you made a conscious decision about social media? And if so, based on what? I've never been on any platform of social media, zero, um, um, none of them. And there's a longer, probably uh, boring story, Paul, uh, in which somebody that I worked with, uh, who I have great uh, reverence for and respect for and affection for back at ESPN, uh, again, it's a, it's a long drawn out story, but we had run a feature at Wimbledon about Andy Murray. Uh, Andy Miller was involved in the Dunblane school shooting, which, uh, again, as a rough analog, I would say it would be like the Mannings if they had tragically attended Columbine. This was Andy Murray, you know, one of the, the most famous Scots in the world, who as a child was at a school which suffered a horrific shooting. He never spoke of it publicly, but we went back to the town to see as Murray was getting closer to winning a Wimbledon title what it meant to them, if anything. After this had happened, we found out it had enormous meaning to people in the town. The feature ran during a rain delay during the Wimbledon final as the roof closed. And I was forwarded one random tweet. And the tweet was so beyond the pale to me, was so off the top rope, cruel and mean-spirited. Want to watch tennis? 
why am I subjected to Tom Rinaldi telling me about murdered kids? F him. Something like that. And I just swore whether I'm too thin-skinned, whatever else it is, that I don't need that in my life. And I've never had it in my life. Good for you. Hey, we didn't get grades at Columbia Journalism School, but yet they did actually produce a quote-unquote valedictorian. So they picked, like, this person is the best reporter student. Do you remember who it was? Was it him? Who? Was it Sri? No, it was was Diane Baxt. I'm I'm, virtually certain it was Diane Baxt. That doesn't ring a bell? I'm sorry. I'm in my dotage now. Does it ring a bell for you, Paul? For me, I always remembered. How the hell did they decide that Diane Baxt, of all of us, was the the singular best person? Who is this person? I think she she worked at the Baltimore Sun. I don't know what she's gone on to do. I'll text you. I'm going to do some research. I'll text you if if I am, in fact, correct. Well, if I can ever be on with you, I love it. I And I know sometimes it feels like it can be a bit of a hassle, but I love being on with you guys. Well, we'll put you down for twice a year now that we're, <laughs> now that we're Fox brethren. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you get through the World Cup and uh, all yeah, that travel. Then we'll, then we'll, that, we'll touch sure. base towards the end of the year. Hey, it was terrific. Great yes. catching up with thank, you. Good thank to you see so you. Much, you look Tom. well. Always great. Thank you, guys. Wesley out this Monday, the first four episodes, everywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Thank you, guys. We're Ma- all in. Making Thanks. a note to uh, make sure that I download that and subscribe to it right now. Be Wesley, well. the name of the podcast. Uh, great stuff from Tom Rinaldi. Always terrific when we get a chance to chat with him. Uh, literally about anything. Patrick on Twitter says... Tom Rinaldi casually slipping into narrator mode about his podcast is the smoothest thing that you'll ever hear in a broadcast when he went into the the narration of what the podcast is. Let me tell you a secret. I mean, he doesn't even remember Diane Box. So there's no way he thought that she was that good either. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, Terrific. Always with Tom Rinaldi. Thanks for setting that up, Paul. Uh, When we come back, Ryan Silverfield will join us, head coach at Memphis. We talked with Will Healy from Charlotte earlier this week, getting the perspective of group of five head coaches. We'll talk about his program. We'll talk about what's next. We'll talk about what he sees across college football right now. That's coming up next. This is Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we're back on Outkick 360, and we will not keep our next guest waiting any longer. He is Memphis head football coach Ryan Silverfield on with us right now, kind enough to wait with us as we went a little long with Tom Rinaldi. Coach, appreciate your, your patience and, and for hopping on with us. And by the way, I love your setup there uh, in the office with that 901 helmet behind you. It looks great. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on today. Always glad to join you guys and uh, look forward to some good discussions but yeah the, the setup in the office is good obviously you have to represent the city of memphis in the 901 so just, how just, we do so absolutely just in general uh you know the internal clock gets going what does this time of year feel like for you uh, as the head coach at memphis 
When do you feel like yeah. football season is, is officially here? And what is what is this time of year in July like for you? Yeah, we're T-minus just under three weeks before training camp starts report date. So it's a lot of excitement. Um, you know, we're ready to get rolling. The players have been working hard all summer, obviously, hot throughout the country, uh, especially in this region. But the guys have been getting after it. And, you know, formulating some stuff. The NCAA has allowed uh, some extra rules, being able to go out there for two hours a day to do some football element stuff without contact. To be able to do some of that stuff, but you know, as we start to plan in place to make sure we're in shape and ready to roll for training camp, organizing practices, uh, making sure we're we're all on the same page moving forward. But it's good we've got the staff back going and uh, ready to roll. You know, we mentioned that the 901 helmet behind you, uh, of course, the the area code for the city of Memphis. You get these metropolitan schools with a big market and, and with a big recruiting base right in your backyard. How much of the job is is just that, associating with an area and then really hitting the local schools hard with you and your staff at Memphis, trying to keep, because we know there's a lot of great athletes in that area, trying to keep kids home at Memphis. How big of a, how big of a challenge is that? How big of a part of your job is that just every day? Yeah, well, I think anybody, first and foremost, understands the city of Memphis is a very prideful city, right? a city of over a million people. Our campus is right here nestled in East Memphis um, in a great area and a great region. So, yeah, there's a ton of talent here. But uh, being a city of our size, obviously, we want to keep the homegrown talent here. Um, a lot of great football played not only in the city, but in this wonderful state as well. So we've done a, a fantastic job being able to keep guys in. But also what's happened, as you guys well know, is you know, the brand of football here at the University of Memphis, especially over the last nine or ten years, has, has grown more national. And so – you know, people understand now what the 901 is, what the city of Memphis and our football program are all about. So that's been able to help us also on a national level, right? Be able to go and recruit. Now we stay within a, you know, generally a six-hour region of where we're going. And the Atlanta area, Georgia, throughout Alabama, obviously Mississippi, Louisiana, we've had a lot of success. But obviously we want to keep our local guys local. How much do you sell guys when you're bringing them in and how much do you use it to your advantage while you've got them that you've got some significant NFL experience? So is it six, six years with the Vikings, one with the lions that you could say, Hey, I I've been up there. I, I, I know how things work up there and I'm, I'm, you've got access to that with me. Yeah. I think that's important, right? Obviously the school itself, our program has so much to sell, but for being a head football coach, you have to sell yourself because that's, now, these are the young men, and we know this day and age in college football, there's a constant turnover amongst staff and amongst players. And so being able to tell them, hey, I have been you know, was fortunate enough to coach in the NFL for seven years at a young age, and, and so I know what it's like, the connections. You know, I left the NFL to come to Memphis and stayed here, and it's been a wonderful opportunity. And so I think that's part of it, and the guys know it, and they believe it, and uh, they're able to see that. You know, we have guys that go to the league, and you know, they'll talk about the connections and the mutual friends that uh, – we have along the ways, but I, I think it's important to help significantly in recruiting. Uh, we've been very fortunate, in, you know, past seasons. Obviously, I've got fantastic staff that's done a great job with this. But back to back, best recruiting classes in program history. Uh, so we're gonna keep pushing it and selling that as well. How often do your players come to you and ask advice about uh, uh, NFL? About you know, how do you do this drill here? What what did you see from players you were around at the next level? I'm sure as a coach, as you said, you can sell that part of your career and what you've done, but how curious are your players about things like that? Because you've had some, some draft picks come through Memphis. Yeah, absolutely. They've been great about it, and I appreciate the transparency and the communication with our current roster. I mean, those guys will come and talk about, hey, 
what's it like, you know, especially those guys that have the opportunity to play at the next level, uh, maybe in their senior year, and you know, our junior year that maybe draft eligible. And they want to have those conversations. I think it's good, you know, be able to tell them, hey, here's what Adrian Peterson did. Here's how he worked. Or here's some of the stuff Jared Allen was able to do. And then those connections, you know, and I think that's important. And it's been good. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that the players want to ask. You know, obviously our ultimate goal is to win a lot of games here and graduate the guys. But, you know, most of our players have the, the goal in mind of playing the NFL. And we're so fortunate at Memphis to be able to put in, you know, over the last eight years we've had a draft pick. And go in the right direction. And it's pleasing that our players are, are interested in that, wanting to achieve those goals and dreams. Memphis head coach Ryan Silverfield, our guest on Outkick 360. So, Coach, when you see the news that USC and UCLA are leaving for the Big Ten, what's your immediate thought? Being in the world of college football, knowing there's instability at a number of places and a number of conferences, what was the initial reaction to that news? Yeah, I think like everybody else in the country, we were all surprised and a little bit shocked. But college football, the one thing we know, the only constant is change. Oklahoma and Texas, you know, almost a year ago, we're going to be leaving as well in the same type of way, right? There's throughout that you guys in the media world probably were the same way. I don't think anybody had a, oh, I got a hunch that that was going to happen. And, and same with, you know, with USC and UCLA. And that's part of it. I think uh, the college football landscape is going to keep changing. And look, we're very fortunate. We're in a great conference, the AAC. You know, we've had multiple representatives, not only in the college football playoffs, but uh, New Year's Six Bowl games, which I think is important. But, you know, we're keeping an eye on it, and I think we're doing our due diligence. Our athletic director and our president are constantly monitoring the change in the landscape. Obviously, we want to be a step ahead of this thing. Uh, whatever we can do to play the most competitive football schedule, that's what we're going to do. And part of that is being in, a, in the conference. It's us best. Well, and you know, part of that is that the sales pitch of, of the conference and making sure that you're top of mind with a lot of people because you're right that the AAC kind of became that that sixth power conference in, in the last couple of years with, with some of the teams that it's produced. And you mentioned the success of, of Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati now, of course, headed here soon to, to the Big 12. Um, how much of it, Coach, is making sure that while you're a competitor and you're competing against everyone, but making sure that it's top of mind that you're making the right moves when you add other teams to move up to the AAC, that you're still putting yourself in a situation to be a competitive conference with some of the other quote unquote big boys. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all part of the steps of the equation, whether it's us as a institution, right? The university, uh, anybody knows that we're adding $200 million uh, to our Liberty Bowl stadium, uh, bank Liberty stadium, which would be a huge upgrade. And that's part of the process of making ourselves attractive, not only in this conference, but possibly others, right? The facilities we have here at the university, uh, the success of our basketball program, obviously we need to continue to win football games and, for championships, that's part of it. And then, you know, what other teams are we bringing into this conference, right? Does that make us still at the eyes of a power six? But in this day and age, as we well know, sometimes, right, what, what is even considered the power five? And like we talked about with the success of the teams in our conference being able to play in those big-time bowl games, it's kind of wiped away. And everybody has the opportunity, you know, to play at a big-time you know, game, whether it be the college football playoff or in a big time bowl game. So I think that's part of it. But we're constantly doing things as a university from the standpoint. Uh, you know, we're a Carnegie one R1 status. You know, so part of that's, you know, okay, if every team in the Big 12 is a Carnegie R1 school, well, that's important to us as well. We were able to achieve that here. 
You open at Mississippi State on September 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. After all this realignment stuff settles down, if if we wind up with with four super conferences or two super, super conferences, do you think um, if, if a school like Memphis is still where it is, will it have a tougher time or will it still be the same in terms of getting a game like that on your schedule? Well, I think we all know it's getting harder and harder for a place like Memphis to schedule those type of opponents, right? So I'll, I'll just say this. We, we make a lot of calls out there to a lot of places throughout the country you know, trying to get games. And we want to play a competitive schedule. Uh, we call the teams in state, you know, that you guys will know that, hey, let's try to get on the schedule and play you guys. Um, and, and sometimes those are hard to get those calls returned because people know the, the football we're going to play. And you're right, if, if there isn't a whole lot of change in conferences and, and we still are where we're at, years um those conversations may have been harder because of what you know the way teams are and you know who knows what every conference gonna says the sec gonna say hey we're just gonna play a clean uh, game scheduling conference and the other two have to be from these other two conferences who knows um but i can't predict that you know reality without sound like coach speak our number one focus right now is on this current season and, and you know the conference realignment will take care of itself we've got this great administration that will handle that but uh, yeah, our focus on mississippi state and seeing what we can Ryan Silverfield's a head coach at Memphis, and he has been our guest on Outkick 360. Coach, appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck this season with with everything going on, and we'll certainly be watching what's going to be a terrific week one matchup uh, in Starkville against Mississippi State on September 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me on. Have a good one. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. You too. Coach Ryan Silverfield of the University of Memphis, a sneaky good program there at Memphis, and Calvin Austin, uh, one of the latest draft picks, uh, some really good talent at Memphis. So They've appreciate Ryan for joining us. Four guys uh, currently, if if what I found is correct, on the Steelers and two on the Eagles. Very big in Pennsylvania. Yes, they, they love they love their Memphis Tigers there in Pennsylvania. Um, so Paul, you know that I'm anti shift, right? In in baseball. Um, so what's going on in minor league baseball right now yes. uh, against the shift? I, I like this idea. I like yeah, this plan. I did a Fox news rundown on this yesterday. Um, there at, at in one minor league uh, coming up next week, they're drawing kind of a wedge behind second base and you're not allowed to be in that pie shape as a second baseman or a shortstop. So if you want to play behind the bag, or if you want to play in the middle, you have to play shallow. So you're allowed to be uh, in front of the wedge, but you're not allowed to be in the wedge. And I, I suspect you're not allowed to be on the grass behind the wedge. Yeah, so either. does this wedge go into the grass, the outfield, or well, no? Well, it's not drawn onto the grass. Okay. So maybe you could play on the grass behind it, and they're thinking, good luck throwing somebody out if you field it in the grass back there. But um, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, you're drawing two lines on the field. I, I, I'm not a super traditionalist, but I don't want new lines on the field. And uh, as I contemplated this yesterday, as I as I wrote what I ultimately delivered that would be on, on uh, Fox newscasts today as the little sports piece that we contribute, I, I said I was conflicted by it because here's my thing. You know, I hate that, that balls that have been hit for 100, over 100 years to spots that have automatically been hits are now being caught easily caught by guys who are positioned there just standing there catching what has been a single for years but i also hate 
that hitters are not changing their ways and putting balls to spots that are unoccupied now, hitting them or bunting them. So ultimately in this, I concluded I'm with Wee Willie Keeler, who was a tiny, tiny guy, a Hall of Famer, who choked like halfway up on a 40-inch bat and said, hit them where they ain't. But the longer we go without people hitting them where they ain't, the more I'm going to lean towards outlawing a shift. One thing I wouldn't be averse to is having infielders have to be in the infield. I don't feel like that's out of bounds to say infielders have to stand on the dirt. And so the second baseman who's kind of playing between the right fielder and the first baseman while the shortstop comes over on that side of the field, to me, that could be illegal and I wouldn't have a problem with it. He has to be on the infield. I hate the shit because I hate when the ball is hit. You know, for years and years and watching think, baseball, oh, base hit. I knew it was a base hit, and then now I have no clue because I have no idea where the yeah. infielders are shifted. Right. And now you got, I'm to the point where I know it's an out. Yeah, you got second baseman, certain hitters. You know, making plays from shallow right field. You With know, at no difficult shortstops uh, just reach on. Out. You know, in center field, making a play, a double play. It, it's crazy to watch, but also it's not as easy as just at times. Well, hit them, hit them where they ain't because. Pitchers can execute pitches to where it's nearly impossible to hit it the way that you want to hit it, well, where I, they're throwing you at times. So I don't think it's impossible it to bunt difficult. it there. No, you're right. I don't think it's impossible to bunt it It's difficult, it though. To bunt it to third base. Well, train like hell to do that. Yeah. No, I'm with you. But something's got to be done. Either way, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. Um, so, Deion Sanders Who recently I talked about – don't like. Do, do not like – but he, he was on a podcast, and he had comments about the lack of, of African-American players in Major League Baseball. Lowest number of black players in the game since 1991. And Deion Sanders had some thoughts on, on why that might be. We'll let you know what his thoughts are. We'll discuss when we come back. This is OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you live from downtown Nashville, 6th and Peabody Studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here. Jonathan Hunt will be back on Monday. Well-deserved week off. Um, story at Outkick right now, written by Mark Harris. Major League Baseball has the lowest percentage of black players since 1991. Deion Sanders, who, who would obviously played you know over 14 years in the NFL, and has 641 Major League Baseball games under his belt as well. He was on a podcast called the How It Goes Down podcast by hosted by Desi Banks. And Dion had the following to say. This is the problem with baseball. Black fathers never played baseball, so black fathers are not pushing their kids towards baseball. So when the black father wants to play with his son, he puts his hands on what he's accustomed to, and baseball is typically not the option. Uh, he also goes on to say that he believes baseball has priced out black kids from the sport. He says, quote, back when I was coming up, we had a lot of African-Americans in the major league. 
Now that is not a thing because they priced us out as well. Back when we played baseball in Little League, it was so cool. Maybe about $100, $150 to register. To play on a select team now, it's at least two grand. So kids aren't playing it. They can't afford it. They priced us out. Paul, you have a son who I know plays some travel baseball. Uh, do you buy into the idea that those less fortunate have been priced out of the sport to play at the top level? It's not cheap. I, I agree with him on that. I do think that uh, a lot of teams uh, make a point of, of saying that there is uh, uh, funding available for, for any parents that need help for it. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, 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 uh, while I appreciate his point on that, I mean, does he think peewee football is cheap? Because peewee football ain't cheap. I mean, there are insurance stuff that goes in on that, and and uh, uniforms are certainly more expensive. It's not two grand at minimum, I would say though. If it, I don't, I don't know how expensive I, it is. I'd, but. I'd be surprised if it doesn't doesn't match up. Um, so I, I I can't imagine that football is a cheaper option, though it's it's less, and you're probably only playing an eight game season. Uh, as compared to, you know, my kid as a 12-year-old just probably played 40 or 45 on a travel team. Well, here, here's a response I got when I posted this story from someone says, well, then how are these players in third-world Latin American countries thriving? If, if they're not, they've obviously been priced out of what – but I guess the response is, there's, is there travel ball in these countries? No. Or is it just simply kids playing the game – at the most bare bones level possible for a long time and every day in a certain climate and then getting really good at the game yeah. and being a major and, and baseball star. And some of them, frankly, without real equipment. I yeah. mean, you see them playing with, uh, you know, broomsticks and, uh, you know, I've seen some, some reports where, you know, they don't have, uh, you know, a TV report where you see kids that don't have real gloves or necessarily even a real baseball, which is sad. And you would think uh, major leagues and, and baseball-related charities are, are doing the best they can to pour stuff in. Maybe not the best they can, but doing what they can at times to pour stuff in to, to those places that are yielding a lot of baseball players. I will say Simon you know, is just finishing up a camp today. He finished an hour ago, a four-day camp um, at Centennial High School in Franklin. That's a Nike camp that's kind of a roving thing that I'm sure – you know, hires local coaches to run a Nike camp in cities all around America. And I think there are probably 60 kids. And I want to say, you know, the one day I lingered and kind of watched, I told you about watching the teams be picked. I think out of the 60, there were probably 20 African-American kids, which I will admit was more than I expected. And more than I see at a well, that's lot good of, to see. Uh, at the things that I was at, uh, a lot of things I'm at, you know, uh, involving teams. So I was encouraged by that and thought that that was uh, a good sign. And they looked to be uh, good, good players and guys who were into it. So, well, uh, while I don't think this has hurt the quality of, of baseball or players that are coming through the system and you know playing college baseball or high school baseball or whatever it may be, it's the I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing either. It, it, the lack of a community team when you're growing up. You know, like you play at one park, and then you maybe have a travel team from that park, but everybody lives in that town, yeah. plays for that town. They're always together. 
as we specialize more and more, you get, you know, in uh, a town, you know, you're in, Paul, in Brentwood, Tennessee, they probably have 25 different groups, you know, that are playing there that are all different levels of, of travel team in a place like that. Look, you, you can't stop time. You can't stop the future from arriving. This is where we are right now, but I don't know that that lack of community sport involvement outside of, you know, the high school football team in your town, I don't know that that's great for, for baseball no. as a whole. Well, it ends earlier and earlier, not just for baseball, but for everybody. The parents overtook it and or, over-organized it. And uh, maybe most significantly, corporations took it over and found ways to make money on it. So you are paying $2,000 for your kid to play baseball at a level where you and I were still playing just Little League and Rec trying to make ball. all-stars. Yeah. Rec League ball for a 12-year-old now is really bad baseball. If you're playing Rec League ball at 12, you stink. Or if you're good, you would be Babe Ruth. You know, We have a friend that played Rec League ball one year because he got kind of squeezed out between a team folding and he got cut. And it was, you know, right after tryouts were overdone. And his dad said he was looked at like Babe Ruth. Yeah. Well, he wasn't Babe Ruth, but he did a lot for his ego that year. And his confidence got built up. Yeah. You and know? it's it, it's uh, it's a weird spot for parents, too. Because I totally get it. I'm, I'm father of two that haven't started that level of sports yet. But you don't want your kid to be left behind. Exactly. Right? Like, if, the, if your kid likes the sport, you don't want to be the parent that holds them back, even if you're kind of against it. And you don't want to get all in on a travel team that yeah, early or anything else, but you also don't want to look back and be the reason that, you know, your kid uh, didn't make the high school team or didn't get some scholarship money to go play in college because they weren't on a travel team at some point. Yeah, and for Simon, soccer went the other way. You know, when he made that jump from the, the great rec team that he was on to the to the big club organization, he didn't love it. And then some personal stuff got in the way, and he's not a soccer player. We are going to talk about the juice when we come back. And no, I'm not talking about O.J. Simpson. We're going to talk about the juice around college football. That's next. This is Outkick 360.